Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. If you are on antacid medications and you are wondering whether or not they're going to create long-term health problems, the answer is Yes. So we want to teach you how to get off of those medications as quickly as possible so that you can live a life that is full of vibrancy and don't risk having all of the um, problems that come along with being on antacid medications. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Mills and welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. I'm a medical doctor uh, with a root cause approach to health. And today we're going to teach you how to reverse your heartburn or acid reflux naturally without the use of medications so that you can get off of your antacid medications, which have been shown to have really terrible long-term effects on your health. Now, when we're talking about uh, heartburn or acid reflux, other terms you may have heard of are gastroesophageal reflux disorder or GERD, could be Barrett's esophagus or reflux esophagitis. And it's very common in these conditions to be prescribed an antacid medication like a proton pump inhibitor, and you may know it as omeprazole or lansoprazole, pentoprazole, ribeprazole, ozomeprazole, and there's some brand names like Nexium or Prevacid. And the problem with these medications is that uh, research has proven that being on them for longer than four, than 12 weeks can start to cause serious complications with your health. And specifically, it causes problems initially with your gut health. And when we think about gut health, we have to think about the health of your uh, digestive power, like how good your uh, gut is at breaking down and absorbing your foods. You have to think about the health of your gut lining. And also, that's the part of the body that absorbs the nutrients from your foods and protects you from invading organisms like bacteria, fungi, parasites from getting into your body from the gut, from the food that you do eat. And the health of your gut microbiome. And these are the organisms in your gut that are meant to be there, that healthy community of bacteria, viruses, parasites, and fungi that I've been really talking about over the last few episodes uh, of the Wild Wisdom Show, um, talking about how they support things like they're the ones that actually break down your fiber for you. Your body can't break down fiber. They do it. Um, they are responsible for helping control the levels of hormones in your body. Uh, they interact with your brain and affect your brain function. And when they are unhealthy, your gut is unhealthy and you start to get inflammation in your gut. And that can then progress to inflammation in the rest of your body, including inflammation in your joints and your tissues and your brain. So, of course, if you were to negatively affect your gut health by taking medications like antacids for any longer than 8 to 12 weeks, you're going to start to potentially experience really problematic uh, issues with your health over the long term. And there actually is research to prove this. Now, don't worry, I will never give you a problem without a solution. 
And so what I'm going to be for doing first is I'm going to first show you the potential harms of being on these medications long term. And then I'm going to teach you how to reverse your heartburn, how to reverse your acid reflux, even if the cause is a hiatus hernia, which is like a structural reason for it. And most people, it's not a structural reason, re, uh, reason like it's not an issue they were born with in terms of the anatomy. It's as a result of diet and lifestyle factors. However, there are some people that were born with certain um, anatomical, you know, the anatomy creates a situation in which the acid in the stomach goes up into the esophagus. So it's the mouth down to the esophagus and then the stomach and heartburn or acid reflux, GERD, Barrett's esophagus um, and esophagitis. They are all as a result of acid from the stomach going up into the esophagus and the acid in the stomach is supposed to stay in the stomach and its purpose is to break down your foods, right? So um, it breaks down your protein. It actually activates chemistry necessary to break down your proteins so your body can absorb your protein. It also activates the chemistry in your stomach necessary to absorb certain nutrients like vitamin B12, for example, and, and many other nutrients. So it is an extremely vital um, function is to have healthy stomach acid. And the concern with these medications uh, over the long term is that they decrease the stomach acid too much for too long. And that starts to lead into problems with your, um, your nutrition and your nutritional status. So you could even be eating a very healthy diet, but without enough stomach acid, you're not absorbing it, right? You're not breaking it down enough for it to be absorbed. And there actually was a study done published in 2022 that looked at the long-term use of omeprazole, a very common pro proton pump inhibitor. And so um, this, these results would apply to all proton pump inhibitors because they have a similar mechanism of action. This was done specifically on this type of medication. And what they found was that people who had been on long-term proton pump inhibitors, um, like omeprazole, were more likely to have anemia, right, because they're not absorbing nutrients uh, needed to create red blood cells like the, you know, that make your blood uh, strong and red and thick and carry oxygen around your body. They had low iron because you can't break down the, um, you know, the protein in uh, the animal foods properly. And iron is primarily hiding out in animal foods. And that's how we get our iron in most cases. They had low vitamin D and low calcium, which we know is terrible for things like bone health and brain health in terms of vitamin D. And they had more problems with liver function and tended to have higher cholesterol, okay? And it's because, um, the thought was it's because of this decreased acidity. Now, what's interesting is if you look at these medications, like all of these proton pump inhibitors that I mentioned, on the medication label, the drug company specifically puts on that this medication is not meant, you're not meant to be on this medication for more than 8 to 12 weeks. Okay. And why is that? They, they, even the drug manufacturers recognize that. And the reason is because first of all, there's a couple of reasons. Reason number one is what we just talked about. Um, there is a risk to um, lowering your stomach acid uh, too much for too long. Okay. In terms of nutritional status. The other thing too, is that you can think of heartburn or acid reflux as a sign that something is not going well with your body. So something about how you're eating, what you're eating, when you're eating, how much you're stressing, other like your physical act activity, right? We're going to get into all these things, what the specifics of it. 
But something about your lifestyle is not agreeing with your body. And, and, you know, when there's a fire and there's smoke from the fire and you have the fire alarm, the fire alarm goes off, right? And so the fire alarm, so to speak, is your, is the acid reflux. But if you were to just turn off the fire alarm and not address the fire, not get at the root cause of why the fire alarm is going off, that fire keeps on burning. So whatever it is about your lifestyle or your diet or how you're eating, that's causing the heartburn, that's going to continue in the background. So you're using the band-aid of the antacid medication, but you're not figuring out the root cause. So the smoke, the fire alarm is off, but the fire is still raging. And that's going to eventually lead to other complications in your health, right? The, the heartburn could be one signal, but other signals could be your energy levels. It could be um, gaining weight. It could be hypertension. It could be you know, your doctor's doing your blood work and it's showing up with high cholesterol and blood sugar dysregulations and prediabetes and diabetes. So hypertension, high blood pressure, right? Um, maybe your hair starts to fall out or your nails starts to get brittle. Like these are all signs that things are not well with your body and, and heartburn is one of these signs. And so merely using a medication can be, can be damaging for these reasons. And the other thing you have to consider is that these medications were initially created to um, treat an ulcer. So if, you, if, you, the, if the acidity getting into the esophagus was so severe that you developed like um, erosions, like a breakdown in the lining of the esophagus and inflammation, or let's say you developed an ulcer in the stomach, right? Like ulcerations in different areas of your gut. Um, that medication was used to lower the acidity enough for the ulcer to heal. And the uh, ideal intention is that as you're healing and you're using this medication as a short-term solution, right, while you work on figuring out the root cause of that ulcer, the root cause of the heartburn. So it was never designed to be a long-term solution. Okay. So now we're going to be talking about long-term solutions. And I'm going to further motivate you to really pay attention and, and really incorporate this into your life if you have heartburn or acid reflux is because the second mechanism that these medications really have the potential to harm your health is that because they decrease the acidity of the stomach acid, it also changes the acidity in the part of the body, the part of the gut that comes right after the stomach, which is the small intestine. So in the, you have, basically you have your mouth, you have your esophagus, right? The tube down to your stomach. Then after the stomach, you have the small intestine and then you have the large intestine and then you have your rectum. And the small intestine is where you, your body primarily absorbs nutrients from your food and the acidity that leaks from the stomach and mixes with the alkaline uh, juices of the pancreas, which are the digestive juices, it means that the small intestine is slightly more acidic than the, than the large intestine. And that keeps the gut microbiome from overgrowing in that area, which is good because then it allows the nutrients to go it to be absorbed through your body. When that acidity is affected, when that relative acidity is affected and affected in the small intestine, it becomes less acidic. Then the gut microbiome starts to grow up from the large intestine into the small intestine, and they start to proliferate like bloom in there in ways that they're not supposed to. 
And what that does is it creates inflammation in that in that area of the gut, the small intestine, and it makes it difficult for your body to break down and absorb your food. Um, and they actually have shown um, in the study published in just 2023 that um, use of proton pump inhibitors actually caused a fungal overgrowth in the small intestine when they examined these people. And it was kind of um, mind-blowing, actually, to be honest. Obviously, having a fungal overgrowth, so candida, for example, in the small intestine, it can cause um, bloating, it can cause diarrhea, um, it can cause abdominal pain, um, it can cause you to have the the signs of not being able to properly digest and break down your foods, you know, things like with your skin aging, with the hair falling out, with the nails being brittle, um, irritable bowel syndrome, right? All those things. So it's clearly not um, something that you want to happen and you want to avoid it. And let's get even more serious here, okay? Because the, the stomach acidity helps, the other function of the stomach acidity is to keep your stomach acid um, high enough, like acidic enough, so that any bacteria that gets into your into your body through food gets killed. So it helps kill invading organisms, right? And what we find is that when you when you affect that acid and you make it less less acid, it's like the protection mechanism now has been affected. It's no longer acid enough. And now you start getting organisms coming into the body that the body can cannot fight. It becomes overwhelmed. And they actually even showed this to be the case in children who are being prescribed antacid medication and I understand the intent behind prescribing these medications to children who have heartburn and, you know, there are more babies and more children being diagnosed with heartburn. And you're going to see that when we get to the, re the root causes of heartburn, you're going to see that these root causes are not just applicable to adults, but they're also applicable to children and babies. And so we need to, um, you know, sure, maybe as a short-term strategy, this could be helpful, but the long-term strategy needs to be getting to the root cause because why in this study published in 2023 and if you're listening to me on the pot on a podcast you'll want to pop over to youtube because i put the the article of the study and the pubmed id which helps you find that study if that's of interest to you and this one's called proton pump inhibitor use and risk of serious infections in young children and what they found was that these children were getting increased um, of all infections. So not just gut infections, so infections in the gut, but they were getting urinary tract infections, ear infections, and even brain infections like meningitis. So this is pretty, pretty serious stuff. Okay, And this happens in adults too. I just wanted to highlight that children are not immune to this happening. So this is very important. So now we're going to get into how to treat heartburn naturally. And if you're joining me live, feel free to say hi and put in your questions as we go along. Okay, because I want to make sure that you get them answered by virtue of, of having joined me live. All right, so let's see. There are actually three steps. Three steps to treat your heartburn, reverse it, cure it, heal it, however you want to call it, but get rid of the heartburn or at least make it a lot better. And these steps are number one, to remove the root causes. Number two, to add in functional foods, which we're going to talk about, specific foods that help heartburn. And step three is potentially add in supplements if necessary that are also proven to help with heartburn. So let's get into step one, which I think is most important. I mean, I don't think that 
um, simply taking supplements is going to be the ticket for you. You need to address the root causes. Okay, that is absolutely important. So this is kind of like the non-negotiable and then the functional foods and then the supplements come last, in my opinion. And they are important, but they do come last. And uh, we're going to be looking at dietary and lifestyle factors. And there was this great study published in 2021, a systematic review looking at this specifically for um, gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD. And because it was a systematic review, they're getting data from 173,132 people, um, pretty, pretty equivalent numbers of men to women and also equivalent Western to Eastern studies. So what I liked about this was that um, like some of the factors were really specific to an Eastern versus Western lifestyle. And I think it's important to understand it all. So the dietary factors, um, which I think are most important or very important are not just what you eat, but how you eat and when you eat. And what I have to say is that um, my father just having lots of water here. My father, he uh, was put on a proton pump inhibitor at the age of 12. And when I looked at these dietary and lifestyle factors, I can identify a lot of reasons why he probably had heartburn and things he could have worked on to uh, get rid of his heartburn naturally and get off of this medication. Uh, Instead, he stayed on this medication for life and uh, subsequently went on to develop ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a horrible degenerative disease. And I believe that there are many ways you can get this condition. There was no genetic, genetic or family history for us, so it was not genetically induced. Uh, I think many roads lead to Rome in this case. And in, and in his case, I think it was a combination of being on this medication, so he was nutritionally depleted. He was also an iron man, so he was excessively exercising with this nutrition depletion, he also ate multiple ultra processed foods that he was that he thought was healthy, but we now know are not healthy for you, like ultra processed soy products, um, microwave popcorn full of added chemicals, all those things. So I think it was um, like a storm of events for him. He had he definitely had many root causes. Um, but in the end, um, I think a big one was the fact that he was on this medication for long term. I'm not saying that everyone on a proton pump inhibitor long term will develop ALS. What I am saying is that you could put yourself at risk of developing some serious conditions and how that will manifest in your body probably is somewhat genetically determined. Um, and it depends on other factors that contribute to, you know, other things in your life beyond the heartburn. Like, are you eating too many ultra processed foods? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. So uh, I do think it's important. So just reflecting here, like how you eat. So what they found was that in this research study is that people who um, eat too fast, okay, and eat beyond fullness, So eat too quickly and eat too much in one sitting, we're at risk for heartburn. Now that totally makes sense. And one of the things that I teach people who I work with for for in my health programs is to chew your food very well. And one way to start off is to chew each bite about 20 times, just as a starting point to make you realize that it is like, you know, chewing digestion, digestion starts in the mouth and your stomach doesn't have teeth. Right. So if you don't chew your food enough, that's that means the food is coming down very unchewed into your stomach and your stomach will have to make more stomach acid and work harder. And that's going to be overwhelming to your digestive system. So chew very well 
And then the eating beyond fullness, obviously you're overwhelming the capacity of your stomach. Your stomach has a physical limit. And what my dad would always say, his eyes were bigger than his stomach. He would always put more food on his plate than he could, than was healthy for his stomach to digest, but he just loved eating, right? So he would overeat. And then the other, how you eat is, is kind of like a physical thing, but lying down after eating. So people who eat and then lie down afterwards, whether it's for a nap or for bedtime, they would get heartburn. And that makes sense too, because you know, you just ate, your stomach is producing all the stomach acid. And if you do have something like a hiatus hernia, what's a hiatus hernia? It's when the junction between the stomach and the esophagus is kind of coming up through the diaphragm. And so that, and, and basically uh, structurally, there's less integrity, like there's less strength of the muscles and the tissues that, that keep the stomach acid from going from the stomach into the esophagus. So basically you're like, it's like a, a valve that's a little bit like the valve is only supposed to let food go down and not food come back up. But now your va valve is kind of like weaker as a result. So now food is, can, is more likely to go from the stomach up into the esophagus. And you want to use gravity to help you rather to be against you. So if you eat food and then you lie down right after, then, you know, gravity wise, you're kind of increasing the chance that that food's going to go from the stomach back into the esophagus especially if you have some underlying issues with that, with that valve between um, the esophagus and the stomach. It's called the sphincter, you know, and there's other tissues like the diaphragm that help kind of keep that all tight. Now, what's interesting is that in uh, Japan and specifically Okinawa, which is a, a, a place in Japan that has a lot of people living beyond the age of 100 centenarians, that's known as a blue zone as a result, they have this saying called hara hachibu. Harahachibu. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm probably not saying that correctly, but basically it's a term meaning eat until you're 80% full. And so it, the, the fullness factor is important because it takes time for the stretch muscles of the stomach to send signals to the brain. So by the time you eat until you feel 100% satisfied, that's often too much. You've eaten too much. So eating till you feel 80% full will often be that sweet spot for eating enough and not too much so that you don't overwhelm um, the capacity of your stomach, okay? And so I see uh, a viewer here today saying, hello, hi, Kettle, nice to see you. Thanks for joining me today. Um, so that is very important. And I, I would say, actually, if, if you don't get that right, it's going hard to be hard to reverse your heartburn if those are contributing um, factors for you, okay? Now we're going to talk about when you eat. So what they found was that, um, and this kind of goes along with like lying down after eating, is that if you lie down sooner than three hours before bedtime, so if you eat dinner and then within three hours or less you lay down to sleep, that increases your risk of heartburn. So why again? Because um, if you eat and then lay down within like an hour after eating or two hours after eating, that might be too soon. And especially if you have any problems with the anatomy, you know, like supporting the closure between your esophagus and your stomach, then the gravity of lying down is going to pull the food from the stomach into the esophagus, right? So um, the longer that you give yourself between having dinner and lying down, the better. And you know what, by the way, that is extremely helpful on so many fronts, not just for acid reflux and heartburn, but also because 
the closer that the later that you eat your dinner, the more likely that you're going to have disrupted sleep and your um, what's called the circadian rhythm will be off the rhythms of the of your bodily functions, your your body does not want to be digesting while it is sleeping. It gets in the way of, of your body being able to get into deep sleep and to do the, the cleaning of the gut that needs to happen at night to get rid of all of the, like the poop gets moved down so that you can have a bowel movement the next day. So it really helps like your gut function and your sleep and your heartburn. If you um, look at when you're going to go to bed at night and, and eat, have your last meal and beverage other than water and maybe some teas, at least three hours before that. And that can be tough for people. And I know for my dad, that was really hard because he loved snacking after dinner. However, if, it, if it's between having an after dinner snack and getting off of these medications, I would hope that you're motivated by the information I've already provided you to get off of these medications. Okay. The other one is midnight snacking for the same obvious reasons, right? You're eating and then you're going to bed probably after a midnight snack. And then an interesting one was skipping breakfast. So eating breakfast too late, breaking your fast too late. Um, and I don't really know why that would be, but I found that interesting is that in general, having irregular eating patterns led to heartburn. So it's like have your meals, have them at the right times of the day. But at the, le at the very least, don't eat your last meal of the day, whether it's a dinner or a snack, um, three hours, uh, you know, at least a minimum, I would say two hours, right? If you're going to bed at 10, stop eating and drinking, you know, anything kind of like that would cause your stomach acid to start kicking it up um, by 8 p.m. at the latest. And then we're going to get to what you eat. And that may be something that you're, you might be more familiar with, like hearing that certain foods trigger heartburn. Um, and again, I think you need to look at all of these factors. But what this research showed was that a diet that was higher in too much sugar, too much red meat, so not to say you have to be vegetarian. However, decreasing the amount of red meat you eat, if you're eating a lot of red meat and, and um, exchanging that with like fish, or white meat, like poultry, for example, um, or, you know, those kinds of foods or tofu, those kinds of things. Um, it appears as though red meat has a specific kind of acidifying effect. Uh, we are not exactly sure why. Not having a Mediterranean style diet put you at risk. But and what does that mean? That's like, you know, eating fried foods, so specifically fried foods, specifically carbonated drinks and soft drinks. So part of it was the carbonation so I don't know if you know this, but carbonated drinks are more acidic than non-carbonated drinks because of the, um, the carbonation that's injected into the liquid. So that seems to get heartburn worse. Excess salt. So not that salt is bad, but too much salt, like adding too much salt to your meals. A very high fat diet. Again, fat is not bad for you. You need fat, healthy fat to build your brain um, to build the, you know, the, the cells in your body, all of those things. However, um, a high, high fat diet was not good. So eating too much greasy, fatty fried foods, spicy food for some people. Again, it's not everybody who has heartburn with spicy foods, but some people do, right? It's figuring out for yourself. And then the, the other finding was drinking liquids too frequently, and particularly if it was coffee and strong teas. So in certain cultures, there's different teas that are that are drank and certain teas that are apparently are very strong, kind of like a coffee almost, um, apparently could trigger heartburn in some people. Citrus, 
So, you know, lemons and limes and those kinds of things. For some people, having citrus in between meals could cause it. And chocolate, like whether it's the cacao or the sugar, it's hard to say. And interestingly, alcohol, um, you know, I, I often was I often thought that having wine or beer could be problematic. Apparently, those aren't so problematic as long as they're had in moderation. But the other spirits, the liquors, yes, they could cause and trigger heartburn. That was interesting finding actually in the research. And the what I want to say to you is that sometimes it's worth, um, and I would say actually it's always worth tuning into your body and figuring out for yourself what could be triggering your heartburn. So, you know, some people would say that when they eat like a tomato, too many tomatoes, like tomato sauces, um, you know, the spicy foods could be or could not be problematic, high, high fat cheeses, right? Like, what is it for you that could be triggering the um, heartburn? So really getting curious about it and, and changing it up to see if it feels better for you. Now we're going to get into some very powerful lifestyle factors that were very much associated with increased risk of heartburn and, and um, acid reflux. So let's talk about physical factors first. One was the hiatus hernia, like I've already discussed, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about, you know, what, so with the hiatus hernia, even though people make the mistake of thinking, well, because it's structural and anatomical, all of these things that you're talking about don't apply to me, and that couldn't be further from the truth. All of these things will help reduce the risk, especially when you eat, how you eat, when you lie down, right? How much you eat, all of those things will help reduce the risk of that stomach acid content going up into your esophagus, even if you have a hernia. And if all of these methods that we're going to be talking about here don't work for you, then you have to make a decision. Am I going to continue on antacid medications or will I have the surgery to correct the hernia? And that's called fundoplication. And what I have to say about that is it's worth getting a consultation with a surgeon who does this surgery like as their bread and butter surgery. They're, they do it all the time. They're very, very good at it. That's what they do most often. And you have a discussion with them about the risks, potential risks of the surgery. And then you don't sign up for the surgery yet. You take some time to think about, okay, um, you know, now I know the risks of being on these medications for long term versus the risks of surgery at the hands of this particular surgeon, because the risks are different from surgeon to surgeon, right? It, it has to do with how well they do the surgery, the techniques that they use, the hospital that they do it in, and, and the equipment that they have, right? There's many different factors. And then you make a decision if you what you're going to do at that point, if you're going to continue with the medications plus all the lifestyle modifications, just minimize how much of that medication you need to be on. Or are you going to do the surgery? Okay. And I'm not saying that one is better than the other, or that one is right for you or not. That's a very personal decision that you have to make based on all of those factors, including the discussion with the surgeon, which I think is important. But, and first working on all of these things is still key because like I said, the more that we can health, healthfully regulate the content of the of the acidity and where it is, like the stomach acid and where it goes, the better outcomes you're going to have regardless right? So this is very helpful. The other physical factor is constipation. So if you're backed up, right, it's going to be more likely that a food is going to be like not progressing through the gut and you're going to be backing up more and causing more of that acid reflux back into the esophagus. A big one that I was surprised about actually was physical inactivity. So um, not exercising actually increased your risk a lot, like seven times more actually in some cases. That and overeating 
and lying down after eating plus physical inactivity were some of the biggest risk factors of all the risk factors, which I thought was interesting. Smoking was a big risk factor. Um, in some countries, they chew pan masala, and that was a risk factor for some people. Physical things like having the belt too tight, and then staying up late and not having enough sleep. Now, that's interesting because the sleep part could be tied into the mental emotional factors. And you've probably heard, you know, oh, I, I was so stressed, I gave myself an ulcer, right? Now, that, that connection between stress, anxiety, and depression is true for problems with the gut health. You can physically give yourself an ulcer or acid reflux or gastritis, which is inflammation of the stomach, because there is a direct and indirect connection between the brain and the gut. The direct connection is the nervous system links the brain to the gut through the vagus nerve. It's like a bridge between the brain and the gut. And when you are highly stressed physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, it actually sends a signal through that vagus nerve into the gut and changes your digestive function for you to go from being able to digest properly to not. Now, why would your body do that? It makes sense in an evolutionary term because in the old days, uh, if you had to run away from a, a tribal war or from like a, um, you know, a bear in the forest or something, you don't want to, like your body had to focus all of its um, blood and energy into the muscles of the legs and the arms, right, to run. So it would take blood away from the digestive system and actually slow down the digestive system so that it could focus on the, um, you know, the art of survival. So when you are in a, in a stressful situation, let's say chronic stress from work, uh, relationships, you know, life in general, or an acute stress, like somebody dies or you have a very bad event at work or, you know, you get diagnosed with an illness or something like that and your stress levels suddenly go up very high, those two situations can actually seriously impact your gut health and result in many other things, one of which is heartburn or acid reflux, right, and, and the formation of ulcers. So those have been linked to it. Um, and interestingly, also being divorced, widowed, and married and our risk factors for heartburn. And I thought that was kind of funny in a way because the reality is that if you're unhappily married, that's stressful. And if you're sadly divorced, that's stressful. And, and the same thing for being widowed, right? So it all goes back to the emotional and mental health. Um, and I know that's not an easy one to address. For some people, it's a lifelong um, you know, area of focus for them. And it's important when it comes to heartburn for some people and, and acid reflux. Now let's look at what you can do, like in terms of protective dietary and lifestyle factors in the study, specifically what was protective against heartburn were people who had high intakes of vegetables and fiber from fruits and beans. And if their diet gave them a lot of sources of vitamins and nutrients, so like a Mediterranean diet full of colorful vegetables and fruits and whole grains and all of those healthy high fiber foods um, and actually non-vegetarian foods in moderation. So meat products and fish and things like that in moderation, they were healthful. Again, you don't have to go vegetarian or vegan to treat your heartburn, but you do have to find your body's unique, like ideal point for those foods. Okay? And it might be a very low point or it might be a moderate point. Um, salt intake in moderation. So some salt is healthy, too much salt is not. And tea in moderation. So not overdoing your tea drinking or coffee drinking. 
Other protective lifestyle factors was eating dinner more than three hours before going to bed, exercising more than 30 minutes daily, walking or sitting after dinner. So if you ate dinner and you stayed sitting or even better went for a walk, that was very good for your digestive system and decreasing your risk of heartburn and getting adequate sleep. So prioritizing sleep. Okay. So let's say you're working on all this stuff and you're like, okay, now tell me about the functional foods. And so that's step number two, adding in functional foods. And what are functional foods? These are foods that have been shown to um, help regulate stomach acid production, soothe the lining of the esophagus that has become irritated and inflamed. It helps aid digestion and reduce inflammation. Okay, and all of this information that I'm sharing with you comes out of a study published in 2023. Do you notice that a lot of these studies are really recent? I mean, I'm I'm talking live right now in October 2023, so this is all very cool because it's all really new stuff. Like they're not teaching this in medical school yet, simply because it's just been published. So this is very very hot off the press stuff. So some functional foods that have potential for helping, and again. You have to decide if this food is good for you or not. So, for example, the fir first food in the list is yogurt. And when I say yogurt, I'm, I'm talking about a very specific kind of yogurt. So it's a, um, a like a Greek yogurt with no added sugars, no food additives. It's just the dairy and the live bacterial culture. So it's like a probiotic yogurt not too sour because if it is too sour some people will react to that and if you react to the full fat yogurt getting the low fat version okay and very clean no added flavors no added sugar it literally is the milk and the live bacterial active cultures and that's it that's the kind of yogurt it's so like a a greek yogurt would be a very commonly known kind but if you have a food and a lactose intolerance or a dairy sensitivity or allergy clearly this won't be the food for you so just Keep that in mind as we talk about these foods. Low-fat protein sources like um, poultry or chicken, fish, tofu, those are very um, good for your digestive system. Interestingly, they focused on bananas and oats. Bananas have these like very special compounds in them that can help um, alkalinize the system, which is nice. And oats, also a lot of really great complex um, fiber and really helpful nutrients like silica. Banana and oats both have a lot of silica, which are really great. Um, so adding those in. But remember, you don't want to be eating a lot of bananas and oats on their own because it will raise your blood sugar too high. And then you start getting into other health issues like blood sugar dysregulation issues, like you know, leading to diabetes and that kind of stuff. So you want to always balance your bananas and oats and other high carbohydrate foods with other healthy um, sources of fiber and, and fats and protein. So interestingly, they also talked about nuts, like almonds being very helpful, which is great because the two, like almonds and bananas together and almonds and nuts, um, almonds and oats together really do help regulate your blood sugar response to that meal. And especially if you pair it with really good healthy sources of protein, that really helps with your blood sugar balance. Then they talk about high fiber vegetables like Brussels sprouts and green leafy vegetables, basically all vegetables okay, that are high in fiber are really, really good for your digestive system. Legumes, so beans were found to be very helpful and specifically the, the um, uh, uh, spices ginger and turmeric have many um, compounds and nutrients within them that really help decrease inflammation and support digestion. Again, Pay attention. Do you have a poor reaction to them or not? Because you still might have some food sensitivities. But so long as you don't have food sensitivities and reactions, 
then these foods can be very supportive. And interestingly, fresh papaya. Papaya has a lot of really great digest, um, nutrients that support digestive health, like digestive enzymes. Um, actually, a lot of digestive enzyme supplements get them from um, pineapple stem or papayas. So that's a cool one to actually add in. And also probiotic foods. Again, you want to see if you react to them or not, but kefirs and sauerkrauts, misos and tempehs, those are all really helpful probiotic foods. And the benefit is that they help feed your gut microbiome, which will help it recover. If you've been on a proton pump inhibitor, that can be helpful to recover from having been on it, the effects on your gut microbiome. Um, some specific teas that can be helpful are licorice root tea and chamomile tea. Um, they're very soothing for the digestive tract. They help heal inflammation, which is really great. And then if you know, you're trying all these things, or maybe you're trying to do triple therapy, like um, you know, addressing the root causes, functional foods, and supplements, the third step is adding some targeted supplements. And a really great list that um, they provided, and I looked into it, and it's actually very powerful stuff, is um, licorice root has been proven to help even in situations of active ulcers to, and to prevent ulcers from forming. Marshmallow root, slippery elm, they're very, very um, healing for the digestive system. They form what's called the mucilage when you take them in. And it's kind of like a protective mucus coating. So it helps protect the lining of your esophagus and your gut. Probiotic supplements to add on if you're, you know, to your probiotic foods if you want to you know, increase the power of that. I'm taking a fiber supplement, and I really love um, acacia fiber. It's just such a lovely um, fiber. I, I, it's like a white powder, and I just mix it into some water, and I'll add it to some tea or my decaffeinated um, coffee that I have on a full stomach. So I have my coffee on a full stomach, and that really helps. Having coffee on an empty stomach seems to be worse for heartburn than on a full stomach, like after breakfast, for example. And I'll just actually you know, put, um, you know, dissolve my acacia fiber into the water and then use uh, and then add my coffee to that. And it just like, um, I like the taste of it actually it kind of feels like a bit more of a full body coffee. I don't put any milk or anything in my coffee. I drink it black. Um, and it seems to be a nice way to have it. Um, but you can have it in any kind of way. You can also just drink it in water as well. Um, then we have aloe vera, very soothing for the gut. And uh, then taking supplements like turmeric, so not just in food, not just adding it to your food, but taking it as a supplement in a more medicinal dose, like 500 milligrams two to three times a day would be like a much higher dose than what you could get in your food. And then omega-3 fatty acids, right? Those are very anti-inflammatory. So they can be extremely helpful if there's, a, if there's an element of inflammation from um, the heartburn, okay? And so I want to mention babies and children because I did start off saying that. Um, and I even have, um, you know, close loved ones whose children um, have been diagnosed with acid reflux and, and the doctors are putting them on proton pump inhibitors. Um, so what I would say to them, to you, is step number one, think about the, about the diet. So if you're breastfeeding, if the baby's being breastfed, you have to think about the mother's diet. Okay, and we're going to go into that a little bit more. And if they're being formula fed, think about the formula, right? Maybe they're not tolerating the formula well and it's causing reflux. And secondly, think about the time to lying down after eating. So if your breastfeed, if the baby happens to have like a little bit of a hiatus hernia and you're breastfeeding or formula feeding, and then you immediately put them down to sleep, 
that could cause uh, that that gravity can you know cause it to reflux into the esophagus and cause ref and cause um, acid reflux. So what can you do with the diet? Like look at the mother's diet. You know, excess sugar, coffee, maybe alcohol. Hopefully not, but you know, you never know. Cow's milk. Some babies have an allergy to cow's milk, and the mother having it can still cause a problem in the baby. So just again, looking at any specific foods, maybe some spicy food. Right, just really looking at the diet, ultra processed foods. Who knows, right? So consider going on an, a Mediterranean style diet for the mother. So supporting the mother's diet in order to support the baby's health is very important. Um, and then just some physical factors is after you feed the baby, ensure that they're fully burped and hold them upright for as long as you can before going to bed. But if you if you're kind of using breastfeeding in order for them to go to bed, in the sense that they, you know, you you feed them, and I used to do this, right? Feed the baby and then put them to bed, hoping that they would stay, like, go immediate to, immediately to sleep, right? You still need to try to kind of give them burp, like get that gas out, right? And one trick is you can put a little bit, you know, they have the mattress, you can put a little pillow underneath the mattress, so the mattress is a little bit tilted, so their head is here and their feet are there, so the head is higher than the than the heart, you know, like the head, sorry, the head is higher than the feet on a slight angle, obviously not such an angle that the baby's going to slide down and be uncomfortable, but they do that um, in the hospital when the babies are just born, they, they will often tilt up the mattress and keep the, you know, the head above the feet. Um, and so that allows the gravity to help the food get from the esophagus into the stomach and stay there, right? Not go back into the esophagus. So that's really important. I think that that in itself could be life-changing for the baby. Um, and then another one is considering mother stress. There's actually been research, very interesting research, showing that when that the um, stress hormone cortisol, um, which is our stress hormone, when the mother is highly stressed, that cortisol gets into the baby. And so the baby can actually not be itself be stressed, but it can be affected by the mother stress and so it's very, very important, okay, and this is a quote from the study that um, after birth and during breastfeeding, mothers can transfer physiological signals to the infant through the breast milk, including this cortisol. So the baby take-home messages support the mother in order to support the baby. So really helping the mother out in terms of diet and stress and, you know, and the mother using these physical techniques, right, for burping and, and, and putting them to bed. So um, in summary, and um, the, the obviously with children, right, you're, that are no longer breastfeeding, then you're looking at their diet and their physical factors, their physical activity, their stress levels, um, all the way up through to adulthood. So in summary, you really want to focus on what, when, and how you eat and drink, how much you sleep, uh, exercise, and stress. These are all key. And the end goal is to either reduce the dose of your medications to the lowest possible dose that you can, right? Or even, and I do know this is possible, get off of these medications for life, okay? And then your heartburn becomes your smoke, you know, your, your like um, smoke signal, your your um, your fire alarm. If you start to get it again, you're you're thinking to yourself, okay, what am I doing here? What's aggravating this again? What's triggering it again? Is it my diet? How I eat? When you when I eat? How much? Is my stress? My physical activity? And then you thank your body for giving you the signal, so that it because it's giving you a heads up that something's got to change. 
Okay. Like that's, that's what that is. Okay. So I'm not saying that being on this medication, these medications for a short period of time um, shouldn't be done. That There are situations in which these medications need, need to be used short term, for example, with an active ulcer, or if you have a visible inflammation of the esophagus, when they scope and they see the esophagus is all inflamed and red, right? And But it should be a bridge, not a Band-Aid like a, like that you use forever, but it's a bridge. It allows you the time, it buys you the time to do all of these things to get to the next place, which is the lowest dose and or being off of the medications, right? So I hope you found this helpful. I'm extremely passionate about this, as you know, again, because of what I witnessed with my dad. And, and this is my intuition that it was one of the contributing factors for him. Okay. And so I consider this like a public service almost um, to help as many people on this planet get off of these medications or get to the lowest dose possible because it really can seriously harm your health. And I don't want that for you or for anybody and particularly for babies and children, of course. So please, if you're listening to this and you found this helpful, subscribe and share. Sharing is caring. And this could be the life-changing information that someone receives from you that will make the difference between them living their best life versus just suffering needlessly and not understanding where that suffering is coming from. So thank you so much for your attention and participation today. For all of my live viewers, thank you for being here. And I look forward to seeing you next week. I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 